Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And I know we haven't had a Precursa update in a while, and I am going to do a Precursa update episode. It's going to be a few more episodes from now because we've got some stuff in the works, and I'd like to have a little bit more to tell you next time we talk. So... That said, we are continuing our entrepreneur experience segment today, and my guest today is Dr. Jack Wynn, researcher, licensed dentist, and founder of The Quick Company, which is a medical device innovation company. He's had two successful exits as an entrepreneur, in addition to owning and operating a dental practice in Denver, Colorado, and his passion is finding simple solutions to problems in healthcare and quality of life. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I just want to say, like, for our audience, Jack and I just met, okay, before before we hopped on. And um, right. we had probably the best four-minute conversation I've ever had with a brand new cast. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from dog poop to getting an to getting an education in the Viet, Vietnamese language. So, I yeah. am so excited for this conversation. So, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became an entrepreneur? Thanks for having me, and so uh, so glad to be able to be on this uh, podcast uh, with you. I've heard and saw a lot of the previous podcasts, and it's just uh, great with all the things that you're doing to uh, help the startup community. So, appreciate that. Thank you. I'm originally from Southern California, born and raised, you know, went to school there, uh, tried to leave uh, Southern California, uh, lived in Northern California for a number of years, had a rough time in school, tried to uh, figure out life, identity, things like that, and mm. uh, ultimately uh, explored a bunch of different pathways, whether it was in computers to teaching, biotech, I just had several different careers, uh, ultimately went to uh, dental school. And I had a tendency to uh, always have these milestones at the worst economic times. <laughs> um, my first career ended during the dot-com bust. Mm. And then when I graduated dental school, it was uh, the housing crash. And um, so I just packed up my gear and said, I got to get out of this joint and left California and went to Colorado. Yeah. Didn't know anyone out there. Didn't, uh, well, I knew one person, but uh, just started from scratch and was hungry and just figured things out. And somewhere along the career line, I just kept on getting hungry to do more things. I was just always trying to do something else and uh, didn't know what an entrepreneur was. <laughs> Too many syllables in that word. So, and still don't uh, know how to spell it, right? I'm always spelling did, it wrong. Don't know how to spell it. <laughs> uh, you know, there's too many e's, and yeah. you know that thing with the e and u and u and e in the end is just yeah. like, why is it there? <laughs> but uh, uh, realized that what I was, the things that I was doing, was being an entrepreneur, and suddenly. You know, the people around me would say, you're an entrepreneur or the things you're doing are very entrepreneurial. 
And I'm thinking, I could barely spell the damn word. Why do you, <laughs> How can I be a well, thing? You, yeah, you're, you're changing the noun. <laughs> so um, in summary, I didn't know that I was becoming an entrepreneur. And I only now realize that that's probably what I have been doing for a while yeah. uh, without knowing it. Yeah, the the accidental entrepreneur. It's it's shocking how many stories are like that where where you know people are like, "Oh, I was just doing my thing and going along and all of a sudden, whoa, I'm starting a company and I'm doing it. I'm like, "Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. That's cool." <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. And, I don't know that any and it, sane it's a category person, for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I I don't know that any sane person would really set out to do it on purpose. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I Maybe. I don't know. If somebody asked me, you know, when I was a kid, hey, do you want to be an entrepreneur? I would say, huh? what the F is that? <laughs> is that yes. a candy bar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that the nougaty one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nougaty. You know what? Speak, speaking of nougaty, yeah. that's how somebody pronounced my last name. There's, is it, is there's it no new, tea in there. <laughs> right. Is it, is it new get new, new gin? I'm like, what? You're like, no. what? Yeah. Okay. So now that you brought that up, you have to tell the audience. So when I, when Jack and I first got on, I, you know, I go through my whole spiel and then I asked him, I said, okay, let me make sure I'm saying your name right. And he said, well, I'm going to correct you because I, I said, I don't even remember what I said now because now all I can see is what it looks like. But I pronounced it in a very <laughs> English way, right? And he said, well, actually, and tell people what you told me. So so his last name is pronounced Win. If, you, if you're looking at his, his last name, it actually looks like it has more letters and syllables than that. So tell them what you told that's me about right. Vietnamese. That's, that's right. So the, in the English language, there are a lot of people that pronounce the name as Nguyen. And the way Nguyen came about is way back when, in April 1975, when there's a Huey helicopter over the U.S. Embassy, there's a bunch of refugees trying to escape the country. Yeah. And when they're all trying to escape and jump on the Huey helicopter, they need an organized way to load them on. And yeah. so they would say, Nguyen, 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 Nguyen. And we thought that was her name. Oh. And so when we came over here, kind of like the whole Ellis Island story where people were just pronouncing it and spelling it wrong, yep. uh, they would ask us to register our name. And we said, oh, yeah, it's New Inn. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and people bite on that. And people, oh. realize, re, people really think that that's the, how we actually got our name. Wow. And, wow. and yeah, it's a, it's a puzzling <laughs> thing. But the reality <laughs> is that is not true. That is 100% a lie. That is just a joke. <laughs> The real uh, correct, I would say, way of pronouncing the name is Win, uh, similar to W-I-N. Yep. And the way um, it works is that way back, this is true, this yep. is not a lie. <laughs> this is true. We have to preface gonna, that. Well, yes, let's preface it with this is fact. Uh, before French colonization, you can look up in the history books that did occur, Everything was in the monarch system. So you had emperors and empresses and all that stuff, kings, queens, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And um, in that area, region, if you lived under the emperor's territory, you would take up his last name, uh, him being that, you know, it was male-dominated system. Oh, so wow. the emperors around the territories, you know, would draw lines or whatever, and you knew who was on whose territory when they asked your name. And so 
Uh, when the French came in and colonized, they created a state system and they wanted to register everyone's name. And so they would say, what's your first and last name? Well, the last largest dynasty was Emperor Wynne. And so everybody registered their name, and that's why you have so many wins. And I think the other names include Trans, the Lees, the Vus, and Dins, and all that good stuff. And so after, you know, a few decades of French colonization, those names stood as the most prevalent names. Wow, that's cool. And you were saying that in Vietnamese, words only have one syllable. That's correct. So the the language uh, has seven harmonotones, and uh, every word is one syllable, but can have a different tone, and wow. that would change the complete meaning. So uh, imagine somebody learning Vietnamese and having the wrong tonality. You just screw up the whole word. Is this why? Okay, this is going to sound really stupid, but. Are there tone-deaf people in Vietnam, though? Like, Vietnamese people are tone-deaf? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, no. So the the tones are highly exaggerated, but here's, okay. here's the cool part. Yeah. Um, at least I thought it was cool. When we have seven hormonal tones, it sounds like music. Yeah. So when we speak, uh, at least when you hear... Uh, Vietnamese people speaking amongst themselves. Yeah. Um, in many ways, it almost sounds like they're singing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. But but to me, it doesn't sound like singing because when I hear my mom use all these tones and she's yelling at me, it's <laughs> the worst sound in the world. Ah, <laughs> uh, yelling at me to the tune of Mariah Carey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like now, 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 I don't want to uh, listen to Mariah Carey anymore. Oh my God. For those of you who are too young to know who Mariah Carey is, she was the predecessor to Ariana Grande. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So in in that regard, because everything is one syllable using different uh, tones, um, Vietnam is actually two words. Yeah. Saigon is two words. Okay. Hanoi is two words. Um, All the words and um, I guess. uh, Syllables are, are, are singular. Hence, uh, my last name is... Win. Win. That's cool. Well, I, there is a whole cultural thing there that I had no idea about. So, um, yeah, and that yeah. is fascinating. So, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. All right. So, so here we you, are. Yeah. So, here we are. So, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about what are you currently working on? Like, what are you building uh, I, I, I was looking at the quick company website and it looks like you're building some kind of a medical device and maybe there's a patent process or something going on with that. Like, tell us, tell us what you're working on. You bet. So the, the quick company, uh, produces the patent pending micro tray and the micro tray is one of several, uh, different product lineups and they are, um, devices that consolidate common dental materials such as gauze, brush applicators, bonding wells, um, they all consolidate these things to the back of your gloved hand such that when you're operating on a patient, you don't have to uh, rotate and um, overreach for items Mm. on your trays and you can work on the patient uh, without losing your field of vision. And all of this helps save time, reduce musculoskeletal disorders, and make things more efficient for uh, dental professionals to por- perform their duties. Okay, so you just said something interesting. 
I'm now realizing how much a hygienist or a dentist is like bending over and and hunched over a patient like eight, ten right. hours a day, right? And that's that's yep. partly what you're trying to address. Correct. And on top of that, one of the um, other uh, things that we use as part of uh, helping with reduced musculoskeletal disorders are magnification loops. Oh. And magnification loops are would be similar to using a microscope. Yep. And so if you think about every time you look into a microscope, you have to readjust your eyes and refocus on um, you know, the specimen in front of you. Yep, yep. Well, us dental professionals do the same thing to help protect our bodies. Uh, but in doing that, every time we look up, it takes time to refocus on our field of vision. Yeah. And when we're working in the oral cavity, um, it, it takes a toll when you do it uh, you know, over eight, nine over hours a day on, you know, 10, 15 patients. Yeah. Is this a, so you, you work slash are a practicing dentist. Are you still currently practicing? Uh, correct. I've uh, been a dentist for a little over 13 years now, and wow. I'm fortunate that I can practice part-time because I uh, managed to pay off my student loans. Good for you. And, yeah, it's never felt great to get to zero. Oh, man. <laughs> but with debt, it really does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So then but, this, uh, this is the kind of problem that you discover being a practitioner and, and you with your entrepreneurial brain, whether you knew that or not, you were like, that's a problem. There's a solution to let me go like figure out how to solve it. Uh, yes, yes. So, um, you know, that that would be a problem that myself, colleagues uh, would bitch about all the time. And, mm. um, you know, if you ask any dental professional, do you see a physical therapist or a massage therapist or a chiropractor? Uh, about 90 some odd percent of us will raise our hands. I see my chiropractor monthly. Wow. And um, when I you know, go home, I'm always, I mean, everyone's always rubbing their neck or back or shoulder and saying, oh, I need to just kind of stretch that out or rub it out. And yeah. um, the ironic part is one day, uh, my partner and I were talking about our life goals and, you know, our three, five, 10 year goals. And um, I, it was like New Year's uh, resolutions discussion as well. And I said, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to get a patent? And, um, my partner looks at me like, well, why are you waiting, you know, 10 years or before you die? Why don't you just do it now? <laughs> and of course it, you know, takes your partner to yeah, make you realize you that. And I thought, oh yeah, huh? That's, that's, that's a good idea. I should get on this now. <laughs> and so I went down that rabbit hole to kind of figure out what problems I can solve. And I was looking at so many other avenues, including dog poop. Which we also and, talked about. Yeah, right. And yeah. Uh, and and then of course my partner goes, uh, why don't you focus on problems within your career because you're always going home bitching about you know things that hurt. Yeah. Uh, I mean she didn't say that, but yeah. uh, uh, essentially that's, that's how. Yeah. That's how it's interpreted in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, and and of course um, you know the most common one that I had incurred going through. Um, uh, back therapy and all that good stuff was, well, how can I help reduce that? And what solutions are currently out there? And um, how do I 
really hone down on this problem and um, identify the nitty gritty. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And uh, you mentioned in your bio that you've sold two companies. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, uh, the first one was a, I mean, they're both dental practices. Okay. Um, they're businesses. Um, awesome. Your, your, your traditional brick and mortar businesses. But the first practice that I started, I had no clue what I was doing. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. And started that. Um, fortunately, I had some help. It was with a franchise dental organization. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I had so I had a lot of help. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't know how to do a lot of the stuff, but they had just said, hey, you just do dentistry. Focus on getting good at that. And as we go along, we'll show you all the business stuff. That's awesome. And that that was like uh, business 101 for me. So um, I got through that for about four, four years. Started okay. it from scratch. Yep. And... Um, sold that to somebody else who wanted to buy into the growth. And awesome. then um, the second practice that I started, I thought, well, I'm going to take everything I learned from the first one yep. and um, try to make it better and bigger. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what I did. And I just kind of had the um, hunger to take some risks and um, sold that in 2020. Yeah. Good for you. Before or after COVID? <laughs> that was, I would say, just as the uh, we were coming off of the peak of COVID. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you sort of weathered the storm, and then and somebody took it over as things were starting to come back, come back into play. Yeah, and all of this was already, I in, guess, in planned play. or yeah yeah in in play to be sold because i was uh i had started working on um the micro tray as we call okay. it now back yep. then it was called something different but yeah. uh that that idea process started in about 2016 2017 wow and then um i believe we submitted the uh patent application to the uspto uh in 29 like february 2019 Okay, cool. So all of that was in play, and we just needed all the chips to fall into their place. Yeah. How long does the patent process take for something like that? Too long? Yeah, I know, because you just said, like, February of 2019, and I'm like, you still said patent pending, so it's been over three right. years. Is that because yeah. of COVID, or is that just this is sort of the process? Uh, I would say both. Okay. Um, you know, the, the patent attorneys aren't I mean I'm not trying if they're listening right now I'm so screwed <laughs> that's okay my attorney then, listens sometimes and he yeah. will call me and he'll go what what was that and I'm like oh don't worry about it it'll be fine <laughs> yeah the you know any government organization aren't exactly the world-class runners of yeah. track and field yeah <laughs> and when you add COVID to it all, all of yeah. the unknowns with that, um, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but that doesn't add to making them any faster. 
Right. So even today, it's what, July 1st, 2022, and um, it's still under review. Wow. But, but that's not a terrible thing because uh, we can still make our product go forward. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you are a little bit unique, which is awesome because I, I don't get a lot of people on the show. Mostly, you know, we work in tech startups, so we know a lot of tech people and people are building software, or building apps or whatever. And you're building something physical in the world. And so you have a perspective on not just the patent process, but like designing and developing a physical thing. And how do you go from I have this idea to actually being able to put a device out in the world and have people be able to buy it. Like talk a little bit about, you know, what does that process look like? What have the challenges been with it and how do you overcome that? You know, and, and what would you do differently if you were doing it again, knowing what you know now? Sure. So to summarize all of that, I would say that all of it is, meeting people, meeting mm. uh, people just like yourself who are interested in innovation, business, and, you know, helping, helping people create their, their product from their ideas. Yeah. And in my scenario, what happened was I had a, this idea and it, it was completely different from the get-go. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a simple refined micro tray that sticks to the back of your gloved hand. It was this Voltron arm apparatus um, <laughs> that, you know, had doohickeys and some, you know, stratospheric <laughs> designs. And through the process, I was trying to meet a lot of people about uh, and talk, talking about how to get this to become a tangible product. And um, I got connected with a um, product development company, okay. uh, Link Product Development. Um, I will forever be grateful for their expertise, their um, uh, just everything top to bottom that they could do. And they're just great, ethical, honest, upfront people. Wow, I cannot awesome. emphasize how important it is to uh, work with just good, wholesome, good hearted people that are just excited about what you're doing and how to get that on the market. But they helped me with the whole design process, the whole uh, surveying and the studies. And we went through the process of learning uh, what the pain points were, how to think about all these little details that say, hey, this is how you start a design. This is how you get feedback uh, for your design. This is how you consider these uh, 101 different aspects. And mm. uh, Mark um, Hanchak and Skylar Livingston did the whole shebang. They came into my office after we had a few discussions um, they stood and watched me work on wow. patients. They stood there for hours and they were just taking notes. Wow. And I thought that's, that's some dedication to, yeah. to, it's bad enough that people hate going to dentists, but now you have to go there and watch <laughs> them do their work. <laughs> and, and so, um, we got to the process of them trying to disseminate my idea into an appropriate language because yeah. I don't speak engineering Yeah. and, uh, making sure that what I'm thinking, what I'm imagining, what I'm saying translates to what they're thinking in their language. Yeah. And, uh, that was engineering and design 101 for me. That was the fun part uh, mm. uh, of learning how they do it. And 
Yes, it might be a little slow and painstaking, but it's such a wonderful process and I'm glad there's that process as opposed to anything else because if otherwise, we'd had some shitty things on the market. <laughs> so there so. is something to be said. You know, we talk a lot on this show because there's oftentimes, you know, these stories are painted, you know, as overnight success, right? And right. there's something to be said for when you have time and the refining of ideas, the refining of a founder, the refining of something over time that actually leads to that perception that it was perfect from the moment it was created. And that's where, you know, the overnight success myth comes from. And mm -hmm. clearly, I mean, you've been working on this for six years, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a lot of time to continue to refine and understand the problem better and try things. And I mean, that's, that's really, that's really cool and really extraordinary. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the whole process has been fun. And it's, it's still a process. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, sure. fortunately it's, it's never ending. Um, you know, it's like the <laughs> Sisyphus, uh, complex or story, but in that process, what's also wonderful is that, um, I was introduced to a bunch of other people, which includes, uh, Yuriko Morito from Patents Integrated. And she was able to help me put this into patent language. If, if you want to call it that intellectual property language. Yeah. And the, cool part about that was that you learn that world, you learn their language, and you learn that there's a process for all these things. And while the process for somebody new like me who doesn't fully understand everything seems long and uh, a pain in the butt, uh, there's a good reason why there's a structured process for it uh, yeah. because it prevents people who are maybe overeager or not ready or it just pre prevents all these things from getting into a bottleneck and slowing down those who are ready to go that process. Yeah. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Um, there, there was a lot of pain points in finding these people. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, not that other people were necessarily bad, but you definitely got to have personality fits. And um, even for myself, I recognize that, hey, uh, my background's in research. You know, mm. if you talk to me about molecular biology, then yeah, we, we, we could talk. But uh, I can recognize <laughs> that I don't know engineering language. I don't know design language. I don't know patent language. And I was so hungry to learn all that stuff that I wanted to come off to them and prove to them that, hey, I'm serious about my product, about my idea, that I want to learn how to translate it into your profession so that way we can be on the same page. Yeah. And I love this, that, that your thing is, it's, you know, people are so important because relationships is where things happen, right? I mean, you, you almost right. can never create anything meaningful in a vacuum. How do you go about finding the right people? I mean, what, what's the process for that for somebody who's like, well, I really want to do this thing and I, I don't, I don't know anybody. So how do you do that? How do you create those relationships and find those people? Yeah. I can't say I'm fantastic about it, but the approach that I take is I'm going to look in the mirror and say, hey, uh, you do a lot of shitty things. You're not the smartest guy in the room and uh, go learn it. But look at yourself and realize that if you want to learn, you have to be able to acknowledge that you don't know. Uh. And it's, it's really incredible how people receive you when you say, I don't know, but I want to listen and learn. Yeah. Uh, it, it really changes the... Uh, the dynamics in a relationship when 
uh, you break down the barriers of, of who knows too much or who's smarter than who. Yeah. And uh, it's similar to what I tell my patients. Um, it's like, hey, um, I can explain all this uh, science and dental stuff to you if you would like to know. Yeah. But it, it'd be in the same uh, way as me respecting your profession and saying, hey, I don't know what you do, but I want to know and I want to learn and I'm all ears. Yeah. So yeah. when I go around talking to people, um, I try to set the tone of, hey, um, I, I might have some experience, I might have none, but I'm willing to say it and I'm going to come out front to say, uh, if I don't know, I'm going to do my part to learn about it. So that way you don't have to waste your time wondering what kind of foundation I have. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So my, my fiance is a surgeon and um, he obviously, you know, he has clinic where he meets people, does in-office procedures, and then he'll take people to OR and people always ask him, how come you don't wear a coat, like the white coat? And he said, if it came with special powers... I would, but it doesn't, right? Like right. it's called the practice of medicine for a reason. There's lots of stuff we don't know. There's things that I can, that I've learned that I'm really well versed in that I can know. And he's one of the only doctors I've ever met who is willing to say, I don't know and go find people who are smarter than him. And it's, it's yeah. kind of incredible to watch because you're like, Oh, wouldn't that make patients nervous? Like my doctor just said, I don't know. And it's like, it actually has the exact opposite effect where you feel like, Oh great. So we're in this together, but I have help yeah. and I have somebody more knowledgeable. It's sort of like you with your engineers, right? They yeah. know what they know, you know what you know, and together we can figure out a path forward. So I love, I just love that. I love that message. And I think, I think it's so important for entrepreneurs to realize you're not, it's easy to look at people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and think, oh, those guys, they just did all this by themselves. No, they didn't. They had hundreds Mm -hmm. of thousands of people helping them along the way. Right. Right. It's, uh, and, and that's absolutely true. There, there are so many people that have brought this to, even to this point, yeah. And if I were to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, mm-hmm. yeah, I could probably get it done faster, but I still need these people. I yeah. still need these professionals. I still need all of their help yep. even to get it here. The yeah. The only part that took the longest was figuring out where these people are at and how we can work together. Yeah, I love that. What would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Pain tolerance. <laughs> Yeah. I'll say more about that. I I could say that right off the bat. You know, some in dentistry in our eyes, I I got to clear this air up about about dentists. Oh, uh, good. They please. Th- people think that we like to inflict pain. Oh. And that is farthest from the truth. I don't know anyone in in, in my 13-year career that says, "Oh, I love hurting these patients." You know, oh, you, they and they don't cringe. Become, it just makes me yeah. so happy. <laughs> we, we don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, who am I going to <laughs> screw up today? Who am I going to hurt today? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, you, if there is that, that the, those people out there, I'm worried. But um, I don't know anyone that, that is that way. But, but I will tell you that in light of that, pain is a good thing. Pain is your body's form of communication to you. Mm. How else does your body tell you something is wrong? Um, yeah. Because that'd be you talking to yourself. And well, that 
we know where that ends. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the idea is that your body says, hey, this hurts. That's how I'm letting you know. Yeah. Well, um, that's the spiel with, with dentists. But getting to um, this whole journey and this whole process with entrepreneurship and pain tolerance is that yeah. – uh, it, it'll hurt you financially. It'll yeah. hurt you uh, emotionally. It'll hurt you. Um, the small one is it'll hurt your ego. Yeah. Um, but it'll it'll take its toll with time. All these things have a degree of um, pain, and you have to have a, a degree of tolerance mm. uh, to to whether they're they're ups and downs because there's so many unknowns that there's not a single person that I've spoken to in uh, you know whether they're serial entrepreneurs or first-timers uh, who doesn't have a pain point. And yeah. it just seems like the life that you choose to go down this path, um, uh, you have to have that tolerance. And yeah. someone might describe it as something different. That's cool. It's just you know semantics. But the, mm-hmm. the, the reality is, is that if you and a team believe in what you're doing uh, will benefit people – benefit the population, that target segment, whatever it is, um, it hurts less. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is as an entrepreneur, you're sort of, you're almost like intentionally engaging with your weaknesses and where oh, yeah. where you fall short, right? And you're you're literally right. saying as by being an entrepreneur, I'm taking on, you know, these things that are in the way of me and being successful, right? And so right. Right. and those relationships are how you take those things on and ultimately how you create value in the world, which is what creates success, right? Right, right. And um I- you know, even in my profession now, I don't sell products or treatment in 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 a dental practice, um, and so I don't have that kind of background. But when I go out there with the micro tray, all yeah. of a sudden I have to put on another hat and go sell. And the amazing thing that you learn about selling is you get a lot of no's. Um, <laughs> a lot more no's than yeses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're talking to investors, and you know the first few that say no. Um, you know, I had to get over that emotional part of, wow, do I suck that bad? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is this, has the last five, you know, four or five years, uh, has, has it been a wash because this is a stupid idea all of a sudden that nobody thinks that it'll work? Yeah. (laughs) And then now after, you know, a few hundred no's, you're like, uh, next Yep. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, so you do have to endure that. Uh, pain tolerance, if you will, if you want to call it pain or just rejection, whatever you want to call it, you go through these emotional uh, cycles and and you know reinvent the way you do things. And the cool part about that process is things just get better. Yeah. So you have investors or have had investors in your in your businesses, right? In the in in the first uh, practice, I would say that I had partners. Okay. Uh, so yeah, okay. invest, uh, you know, hands-on yep. uh, investors, partners. Yep. Uh, the, uh, second business was just the bank. Okay. And of course with this one, um, you know, you go through that, uh, uh, startup process with, um, uh, family and friends, yep. pre-seed investments. Yep. 
Um, so I don't have any formal institutional investors yet. Okay, that's okay. actually what we're working on right now. Really? And how are you? How are you? Are have you started pitching yet? How are you preparing for that? Like, talk a little bit about that process. Sure. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, when you if you go through YouTube enough, you will see a lot of uh, you know different successful people with their pitch decks and all of that, and yep. uh, that's kind of after you do all the due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the stuff leading up to the pitch deck, there's a lot of freaking work that's put in to get that information into one slide. Yeah. And I have a, a, a new appreciation every day for the work that people put into these things when I'm discovering them. And, you know, getting a pitch deck to, I don't know, 10, 15 slides, it's a lot of damn work because yes, um, there's a lot of data that you just have to know. That's right. And the whole finance, the numbers game, all that stuff. And you have to, you know, put it into different formats. I thought you just had to have a, you know, 15 slides and just pitch your product. But no, it, it <laughs> you know, you got to have your one page summary. Yep. You have to articulate it in a certain way. You have to have your pitch deck in three different formats, PDF, Google Docs, PowerPoint, whatever it is. Um, the continuity of how it's presented, the, uh, the simplicity, as well as learning what your institutions are looking for they don't all look for the same thing it's almost like doing a job resume thing yep you have to you have to kind of tailor your cover letter and your resume for what the job needs and right and to highlight different skills right yeah yeah so i haven't formally you know stood up in front of everyone uh, you know a crowd or anything like that and pitched um i've submitted a few pitch decks um a few like 20 uh to different um, angel investors, venture capital uh, firms, and uh, that's only been a recent thing since about I want to say May. Okay. Okay. So, so that, that's yeah, that's a learning process, and uh, you know this. I think early on I mentioned uh, timing of the economy. Yeah. <laughs> that I always pick. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm going to start raising money. Downturn. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, well, everyone's pulling back, Jack. Uh, in fact, I think uh, Sequoia, I think, came out about a month ago with a 52 slide deck basically telling their entrepreneurs, extend your cash flow as long as you can and don't be right. dependent on raising money for the next two to three years because you're probably not going to. Yep. And so yep. as yep. new startups that have no traction, no revenue, like no history, no proof, we go, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That yep. doesn't bode well for us. Yeah, and I I would say that it's um it it's just part of that theme that I said you got to have some tolerance you yeah. you got to be able to weather it and yeah. uh, you know we're still moving forward we're still yeah. this is not just to be optimistic but I can't turn back now yes uh, we have our product that's being manufactured we are building some inventory and we're still participating in um, marketing and trade shows and things like that and it's just like the show must go on yeah and. If I just put the brakes on it, then I would have probably thrown off six years of work. Yeah, no kidding. And and this is the point where you as an entrepreneur, you go, well, okay, like if, if that route's not available, there's 10 other roads and I'm going to figure out where they all go until I hit roadblocks and then I'll figure out that one, right? I mean, that yeah. is that is what it is to be an entrepreneur is every time you hit a wall, you learn what there is to learn and then you figure out a way around the wall, whether it's over, around, under, a different, yeah, you know, yeah. go a different direction, like whatever it is, right? I mean, 
that's true, all there is to, to do. the form. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And on, on top of that is that, uh, you know, in, in spite of some of these hiccups and things going slow, I, I guess the saying is uh, slow and steady wins the race. Yes. And uh, a lot of these um, angel investors and um, venture capital firms, they would like to go fast. Yes. But at the same time, they also seem to share words of respect for those who grind out this slow and start small process, yes. this uh, aim small, miss small. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that that's one of the problems with, you know, in Silicon Valley kind of started this whole thing of fail fast, fail often. Right. But the the next piece of that is fail small. Like, let's not yeah. wait until it's enormous to fail. And that's that's part of the fail often and and fast part. But it but it right. but it is. It's fail often, fail fast, fail small. Because then you have more energy, you have more inertia, you have more resources for when you do figure out the big thing and then you're like, Okay, this is this is really it, you know? Yep. Um, yep. And and the knowledge that comes from being able to see the landscape with all those little small failures. Yes. So that way you can just sum up that one decision and say, I have a little bit more clarity in this yes. decision that I'm making to not repeat that. Yes. Amen, brother. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? The most important lesson, that's a, a great question. There are so many continuous lessons that you go about this process. At this stage, um, I would say that being able to write down your goals and ideas um, and repeat them on a regular basis to offer that clarity in mm. the bigger landscape. Because if you don't see the direction, the direction you're going, if you yeah. can't see your your north star, yeah. uh, you're just going to be, you know, going in circles in the great ocean. And yeah. so um, regularly, I review whether it's you know three months, six months, uh, one, three, five years. I, I write down my goals yeah. and write down you know where am I at now and what am I doing to get there in this process. Wow. And whether it's your life goals or your entrepreneurial goals, even yeah. this one with with the microtrades, okay, where am I at right now? What have what have we accomplished? And which direction are we going? And what are we doing to get there? And yeah. if we're not in that direction, writing that stuff down, um, I don't know. My brain's not that big, so I can't fit that <laughs> much things. But when I have it on paper, and I'm old school, I have paper. Uh, I write it down, I tape it to the uh, my whiteboard or my wall, and so that way I could just look at it and just say, okay, we're still in that direction. So it's, I guess for me, that's kind of like my uh, uh, my guiding fences um, yeah. around me to make sure I'm going the right direction. So then if you could give other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, shit, I don't have that. <laughs> My advice is never give advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truly, all advice are a grain of salt and you have to filter out what is relevant for you at mm. that given time. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the time part is important because somebody's going to talk about, you know, uh, the financial part and you might not be ready. Yeah. So, somebody's going to talk about... Um, yeah, you know, it just depends on what stage, and I don't—I really don't have 
a single good piece of advice to give because it just depends on what stage they're in. You know, listening to one of your other podcasts about when you exited and all of a sudden you didn't know what to do with your money and became broke. I was just like, how would you know? How would you know? (laughs) You don't know what you don't know. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to be one of those people that just can't answer this question in, in a very concise way. I don't have one good piece of advice to give to any budding or seasoned entrepreneur because it all depends on where you're at in that stage of life. Yeah. Or in process. And and every journey is unique too, right? And I think that's one right. of the things that I, I wish that I could get people to understand. Like it, it's great to hear other stories. It's great to like get some ideas and learn how to, you know, get your creative juices flowing to get yourself thinking about things differently, thinking outside the box, however we want to say that. But ultimately no one else in time has ever or will ever be you having this experience, creating this thing to solve this problem. And that makes it entirely unique and entirely unpredictable and also entirely freeing, right? Because it's like, okay, well, whatever mistakes I make, they're entirely mine. And whatever wins I have, they're entirely mine, you know? And and if you're sick like me, um, (laughs) you like the thrill of being hurt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm building my sixth, okay? Like, I like the pain. (laughs) Bring the pain. (laughs) If it it doesn't hurt, it's not worth it, Um, I I guess. I mean, it's it's the weirdest thing. I know. But then that's what makes you do uh, what you do so frequently is because you know how much it's going to hurt. And every time you do it, it hurts less. Yes. Yes. We were watching, have you heard of this show, um, Undercover Billionaire? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we, we were watching the first few episodes of the first season uh, just last night, which is why this is like so fresh in my mind. And watching this guy like get in this beat up truck with a hundred bucks in his pocket and like a bag of clothes and toiletries and whatever. And like, that's all he has to his name for this 90 yeah. day period. And watching how it's kind of goes back to the relationship thing you were talking about, watching how he struggled, how he he this is a guy who was worth over two billion dollars when he decided to do this. Right. And watching him be really confident in the beginning and watching his confidence start to wane after four or five days of like not hitting the goals that he set for himself. Oh yeah, and then yeah. and then the the self talk that he did out loud, obviously because it's all being recorded. But the self talk that he did to say, to to buck himself up and say, "I can't give up. Like if I give up, then it's done, and I'll never have won." Right, right. and so it's and yeah. then watching how he started to bring people into a circle and how he empowered them and how he motivated them and how he got them excited to see his vision, because which ultimately comes back to. You can't do, he could never do that by himself. The only way he could accomplish what he did was having people who knew the area and having people who were knowledgeable about things and getting them on his team. And I just, so, uh, you know, we, it was another guest actually brought up uh, Undercover Billionaire as a resource and we just got around to watching it last night and I just thought it was so incredibly compelling because here's a guy who's made billions of dollars and he went through the struggles that I know you and I have both experienced, you know, lack of confidence. Can I really do this? What am I doing? What was I thinking? 
And and you're like, oh, so it's actually not about how much money you have. It's actually about who you are woven right. into your fabric and who you're who you are for pushing yourself to become. Right, right. There is there is so much discovery of yourself uh, in that process, and um, uh, I find it interesting that you 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 mention about how he's uh, he struggled because I find that when I you know talk to so many people and hear about their stories is that um, a consistent theme that occurs with a lot of people who are success, successful are uh, they have gone through an event. Uh, in their lives yeah. that caused them to suffer, whether it's a, a a health crisis, whether it's a a loss in you know a, a career or uh, put in a bad place, or it's some traumatic event that all of a sudden gets them to pick themselves up and fight ten times harder. And, yeah. and it's incredible that uh, when you go through that, uh, it mirrors. What we do, uh, not just here in our country, but in in the world, like there's every program breaks you down to almost nothing and builds you up and you become that much stronger. You can look at the education system, the military, you know, any type of boot camp, um, they break you down to your nothing, start with the clean canvas and you, you get built up and it's, it's enlightening. Yeah. Incredibly enlightening. Oh my gosh. Okay, so do you have any podcasts, books, or other resources that you would recommend to the audience who is interested in continuing any part of this conversation or anything that's helped you along your journey? I did a podcast way back when, when I thought I was ready for one. Um, it was with Eureka Morita for from Patents Integrated, and she does a podcast on, I'm going to butcher this, it's <laughs> non-obvious and, um, oh crap. I'm sorry, Eureka. I'm trying to I'm trying to do this plug here, and uh, it caught me off guard. Uh, but I, I got her name and company in there. Okay, um, good, but, perfect. Uh, I I do read a ton of books, and I'm not saying that because I'm an avid reader. Because growing up, I sucked at reading. But the current book that I'm in that keeps me plugged into the bigger picture would be by Carlotta Perez, and it's called Technical Revolutions and Financial Capital. Ooh, um, and that's a new one. It, oh, yeah, it's really cool. It's It talks about the bubbles and different industry revolutions that have occurred and the patterns that occur with them. Ooh, awesome. I love that. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And if, if for what it's worth, uh, there's one that I, I, I read and it was helpful from a, uh, a gentleman named... Uh, Jason Jans, and he gave me this book. He referred me to this book called Falling Upward. Ooh, okay, great. And that that book is about um, your stage in life where you get to uh, learning and trying to become something. And then the second half of your life is um, doing it for a different purpose. Awesome. I love that. Okay, good. All right, so I'll put those in the show notes so that everybody can find those resources. Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so open. And I, I just, I love your sense of humor. So yeah, this, this was, this was really fun for me. <laughs> I, I tried to keep it tidy, but no, this was, 
this what didn't even feel like uh, this is not a criticism I hope but this didn't feel like a podcast but it just felt like you and I are just sitting around chatting away at the yeah. fireside yeah which is exactly how we love to do it because it's real right I mean yep. we could we could be super polished and oh we have to say this and this and not that but that's not how this journey works that's not how entrepreneurship right. works it's messy it's real it's it's raw and so the podcast should reflect that. So that's actually a huge form of compliment for me. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> you bet. You bet. This has been fun. Cool. Um, all right. So if listeners have questions, they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, info at the quick, the quick co, excuse me. That's uh, <laughs> info at dot com. I'm happy to help fellow entrepreneurs answer questions, whatever it is. Uh, I'm an open book as well, but uh, I'm in the space of not just for this uh, startup, but helping other people to find their path. I love that. I love that. That's very generous and um, not surprising at all, given your journey. And you have this, I just have to say this, you have this energy about you. You're, you're sarcastic and you're funny and all that kind of stuff, but there's this like core of just calm in the middle of everything that you've said and sort of just how you've, how you've spoken. And I'm, I'm a little bit in awe of that. <laughs> well, I appreciate like, that. How did you do that? I mean, I, I know I'm, we're supposed to be wrapping up, but I, like, how did you do that? Cause there's so many times where I don't feel calm and you yeah, just have yeah. this sort of like, just keep walking forward energy. Like what did it take yeah. to discover that? I don't know. I just, uh, maybe I've seen some shit, maybe not, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, thank you. And yeah. <laughs> uh, ho ho hopefully, hopefully this will uh, help help others kind of uh, see the bigger landscape as well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Jack, thank you so much. This, this has been a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed having you on the show today. So thank you for taking the time and thank you for spending it with us. Likewise, keep doing what you're doing. I will. Thank you. All, All right, right. y'all. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.